It's time for Unlapped. Katie George along Nate Saunders, Lawrence Edmondson. For a moment, boys, I thought you had hired the same decorator, but instead you're just country hopping from Hungary to Belgium. Did you arrive safely all as well, getting ready for the Belgium Grand Prix? I got in um, about five minutes ago, uh, opened Welcome. my laptop and, and got it. But that was my info because I decided to go overland. So rather than fly, I went through, uh, I think, six different countries on about eight different trains. I've been through Switzerland and uh, Liechtenstein and Austria. And yeah, it's been great. So um, I've had a great couple of days and now back to reality in Formula One. And um, yeah, getting stuck into another media day, the last one before the summer break, which is always kind of when it comes, you're ready for it. Yeah, it's kind of a funny one because I, I flew back on Monday, had Monday night at home, Tuesday night at home, and then was I was on a train this morning, but I, I was on it and I thought to myself, Lawrence has definitely done this the right way. Just staying staying put, not getting on a plane at any point, I think is the way forward. Um, but yeah, it's uh, I, I got here earlier, about two hours before Lawrence did. Um, and we're in Liège, which is a lovely place. I drove through it to get to the hotel. Got stuck on a, about three different one-way systems to get here. But once I was here, enjoyed it. It was a nice little place. Uh, and then, yeah, as Lawrence said, drive to Spa tomorrow. Um, hopefully, hopefully we can find some food after this podcast because it's one of those sleepy kind of European towns where you're never sure if everyone's just gone to bed. So we'll, we'll find out. It's not too late, though. So we should be okay. All right. Well, we'll keep this efficient so the two of you can be fed. I'm just curious, when you turn back the clocks a little bit, what's your synopsis of what went down at the Hungarian Grand Prix? Yeah, it was a funny one, Hungary, because I think the race itself was you know, it was pretty bland. I, I wasn't that thrilled by the race itself. But I think that the Daniel Ricciardo news kind of saved the week from a media perspective. You know, we we spoke about that on the Thursday and then the Friday you know, there was still some interest then. Obviously, he qualified well, and it kind of blended into what Perez was doing, and Perez didn't have the best two days, then had that kind of fight back through the field, which he still only had the fight back because he qualified badly, but it seemed to impress Red Bull enough to to praise him for that afterwards. So, I don't know, it was interesting, and it's just it's just fascinating to see that Red Bull is still so far ahead, and pretty amazing to see the, the records that they're breaking and just the form Max is in. If you told me right now that he would never lose another race that he would win every race from now until the end of like my time on earth i'd probably say yeah that's a good bet what, what are the odds i'll take it because he just looks unbeatable and we've never really seen a driver not, not in the modern era i mean lewis even when he was dominating i can't remember it being this inevitable that he was going to win um so so yeah um it was pretty interesting but and great to see mclaren still up there as well i think that was one of the big takeaways of the week yeah, for me, it was uh, Red Bull's dominance as well. And also the fact that they brought this new update to the car. And for a very short hour or so in qualifying, it looked like perhaps, perhaps they've made a step back. Mercedes <laughs> have found this miraculous performance. All of a sudden, Lewis Hamilton said he was driving like he used to drive when he won world championships. And for, yeah, just for that second there, when he crossed the line, whatever it was, thousands of a second ahead of Max Verstappen, you thought, hello, we could have a race here. You know, this could be the track where <laughs> Red Bull come unstuck. Perhaps the update hasn't worked like they wanted. Get to the race, and it was over by turn one. And the minute we saw Verstappen ahead of Lewis going through turn one or into turn two, it was just, um, you kind of knew what was coming. But e even then, I think a few other teams were taken aback a bit by the performance of that Red Bull with the updates. And uh, Toto Wolff said, it's like there's one F1 car now and 19 F2 cars, uh, which is a bit harsh on Sergio Perez because he's in the same car. But, you know, <laughs> Perez has not finished second for some time now. So that does kind of uh, tally, whereas Max is just so far ahead. But anyway, uh, we've got an another race, another challenge. Um, Spa brings up, you know, there's a few little things which make it interesting. So we'll see, see where we end up.
I think as well, what I loved about turn one, even though it was the end of the race, was so short lived. It was so short lived, but there's still like this tantalizing glimpse, isn't there, of 2021 when Lewis and Max were on the same bit of track? Because just the way Max got past Lewis, you could see he was like, I'm going to push you a little wide. You know, I think if Lando had been on the outside, that would have been, been a bit more of a polite move. Um, and we saw that, you know, in, in, in moments last year when they came close to each other on track. And it's really frustrating. Like it's right there, it feels like, but then it's not there because Max disappears. Um, but also the noise. So I went down to the mix zone at the end of qualifying. Um, and you kind of go a lot of the time you go just before the session's finished, just so you can get a good spot. And that's where all the drivers come through the TV pen. And the noise when Lewis took pole was amazing. You know, it was it was similar to what you know we, what we hear at Silverstone. Um, and the noise had been great when Max had crossed, and then when Lewis went over. I'm not sure if it was a pro Lewis or if if it was just anyone other than Max has got pole. <laughs> but it was a great great atmosphere there. So fair play to the fans that were were in the crowd because great noise all weekend. I think it was probably for the latter, just wanting to see something different for once. And then it quickly changed back to the norm uh, once the race began. It's just so impressive. It's it's not just only about the two drivers, right? Max Verstappen being the best there is at this moment. We talk so kindly about team strategy at Red Bull. Also, the pit stops that we saw on Sunday. I mean, 1.9 second pit stop for Sergio Perez as he came powering back from P9. He had an aggressive display um, in his driving on Sunday. I just think it's it's so efficient. It's so well done. And Helmut Marco was actually asked, is this the greatest Red Bull racing team ever? And he said, yeah, I think so. Because of the efficiency and the ease in which things have happened, we've never managed to take two first places in the driver's championship and win the constructor's championship as well. And that could happen clearly here in 2023. I asked the same question to you. You've covered the sport for very long times. Lawrence, is this the greatest Red Bull team that we've ever seen? Yeah, I think it is. Um, but I think it's also, you know, it's an evolution. All the teams in theory should get better over time. But right now, everything has come together to really work for Red Bull. So, you know, they had a long period where they had an uncompetitive engine. When we went to these uh, turbo hybrid engines, they had a Renault engine and Renault just got it wrong to start with in 2014. And we know that Mercedes got it so right. So for a long time, they were pegged back a bit by um, this, this engine that just wasn't performing on the level that they needed it. Now they have that Honda engine, which we know is is, is so good. So that's in place. But also this set of regulations uh, that have come about, it's what we've learned in this one and a half years is that it's so much about the car being drivable. You know, you can add downforce onto a car. You can you can put theoretical performance on the car, but if the driver can't access it and um, there's issues, you know, throughout the different ride heights, you have to run different circuits to deal with bumps and and all that kind of stuff. If you can't, if you can't get that right, then you're in a Mercedes situation or Ferrari situation where in theory the car has a lot of performance, but you just cannot access it or the drivers aren't confident enough in it. Again, going back to that Lewis Hamilton pole position lap, he said the reason he was so good compared to the rest of the season is because he was confident in the car. But one thing that's very clear is that Red Bull have had this strength for some time. Um, you know, e even under the previous set of regulations, they really often focused on the drivability of the car and and also putting it around around Max Verstappen. So when these regulations came about, I was talking to a technical director the other day, and you know, he was saying that it, you know it really was a case that they just really suited all of Red Bull's strengths. They really played to a lot of Red Bull's strengths. Um, now that's not to play down Red Bull's achievement because they've done remarkably well there, but they've got all this knowledge, all this expertise, and it's been grown for such a long time. And then within that, you have um, the stability that comes with Christian Horner being there since 2005, Adrian Newey since 2006, you know, two um, people that are so core to the performance of it, 
Helmut Marko as well, we should mention, you know, he's worked so much on bringing, you know, the best drivers uh, through the through the system to their, to their team as well. And now we've got Max Verstappen, who looks so unbeatable in that car. So all these things have come together. And it, it absolutely is the best Red Bull team of all time. But um, I think that's because, you know, they really have worked incredibly hard and actually been a brilliant team for many years, but just had a few things holding them back. Nate, when Mercedes was at its peak and they were winning back-to-back world championships, were they at this high level of performance from top to bottom? I mean, managers to drivers to pit crews to engineers, or is this a different level? I think they were on a similar level. I think it's obviously Red Bull have taken those records, but Mercedes were pretty tantalizingly close to getting those. You know, if you take out, you know, Lewis and Nico Rosberg, they collided in Spain in 2016. Without that, they probably would have, you know, Red Bull would probably be going after a record set by Mercedes that year because that was one of the only wins they didn't take that season. So they, for you know, especially 14, 15, 16, it, Mercedes were the team. You know, it was two Mercedes drivers going for the championship. So I think they were. And I think that all the things Lawrence just mentioned, which were absolutely spot on, were all, also hallmarks of that Mercedes team. You know, from top to bottom, you kind of had, you, you couldn't see a weakness, you know, and that went mm-hmm. across strategy. It went across, you know, the way they were developing the car, the way, you know, just the way every every part of the team and, you know, the Mercedes operations spread across two different factories, that was a huge part of them dominating uh, in the in the V6 turbo era. And we're seeing now with Red Bull, they've got a blueprint of success. And I think a lot of other teams around Formula One could probably learn from that. You know, if you look at, Lawrence mentioned stability, and I think stability is a huge thing, not just in sport, but in business a lot of the time. The two teams with probably the best stability in terms of high-ranking personnel in, in motorsport, sorry, in Formula One, but, you know, maybe in motorsport as well have been Mercedes and Red Bull. You know, Mercedes have made a few more changes more recently, but you compare the changes they've made to the likes of Ferrari, McLaren, Alpine especially. I mean, you look at Alpine uh, like on the other other end of that scale, and all of that comes from the fact that every part of the team is working so well. So why would you need to make changes? So Mercedes, it's hard to compare because um, I think, you know, the records are going to go to Red Bull, but it's easy to gloss over the fact that Mercedes was so good for so long. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think that they'll be kicking themselves now because I think a lot of those records were very achievable for that team. And the problem that they had that Red Bull don't have is that they had for those first three seasons, especially they had two drivers who were really not just not just had personal beef between them, but actually were pretty close on the racetrack for a lot of that time. So um, kind of kind of ruined their chances of having those records. But yeah, they were they were pretty amazing uh, when they were at the top as well. As much as Sergio Perez has been criticized for his lack of performance over, you know, the past two months, especially in qualifying, maybe it's actually a good thing. Christian Horner doesn't have that kind of headache presented before him every single weekend. Also, Red Bull has claimed that they haven't unlocked the full potential of their upgrades just yet. So take that for what you will moving forward for the rest of the season. (laughs) Yeah, no doubt. Uh, I'm not sure if you guys saw this. I thought it was a really cute moment, and I'd like to know if it's actually accurate or not. The Hungarian Grand Prix allowed for the first children's Grand Prix broadcast. So there was young journalists milling about getting to talk to different drivers, team principals. I thought it was extremely wholesome and very, very well done. What an opportunity for some of those children. There's a funny moment between Toto Wolf and a young reporter. He whispered something into the kid's ear, and then the child revealed unofficially that Lewis Hamilton will sign a two-year extension with Mercedes. If this is in fact going to take place, I love that he allowed a child to announce it. Do we know? Can we confirm any of this, Lawrence? 
Uh, we don't know for certain. Uh, I think that, okay. that kid knows more than the whole press room right the kid, now. The kid been, got the scoop. The kid got the yeah. scoop over all of us. We've been pressing Toto and Lewis uh, in pretty much every media session. Well, maybe not us, but a lot of journalists uh, trying to find out, you know, the latest, where it's got to. Um, they said, basically, that the negotiation bits are done. So uh, there is a number of years down on a piece of paper. And uh, apparently the money bit's done as well. So now it's it's really just about going to the lawyers and getting every little kind of bit ironed out. Um, so, yeah, uh, if Toto said it and the kid repeated it, I fully believe that it's a two-year deal. And that would that would fit in with what we expect. I mean, I suspect if it is a two-year deal, it might be two years plus an option of staying longer. But mm-hmm. if that option's from both sides, you know, it really is just whether you kind of initiate it and then whether, you know, you go into longer contract talks from that point onwards. So, um, yeah, I mean, I no reason to no reason to doubt that piece of brilliant journalism by by the child. <laughs> I've got to say, on this, on, it, was, it was funny having the kids around um, and they were in the media center, sorry, in the, in the media pen and the TV pen. And they actually mm-hmm. got some quite good stuff through the weekend. But I've got to say, they're some of the most confident kids I think I've ever seen in my life. I was queuing for... I'm not sure what they were called. They were this breakfast like wrap outside the media center with uh, another journalist. And then Paul Smith, who's a friend of the podcast, PR at Red Bull, came over and said, oh, have you met? And I can't remember her name for the life of me, but she was the Sky Sports, one of the Sky Sports kids for the UK and was basically lecturing me about Formula One for about three minutes. It was like, do you know this about Formula One? And I, was, I was kind of like, well, I don't want to say I do, but it was just, <laughs> was just like lecturing me about it. And I was like, this is it. And then just went, bye, and just walked away. You know, just swiveled on their heels and walked away. I was, I was amazed. So the next generation of um of F one journalists look look like a pretty confident bunch. Um, but yeah, the the graphics as well on the on the kids broadcast. I'm just going to put it out mm-hmm. there. I prefer them to the to the <laughs> to the adult broadcast. I I want those going forward Great. because they're much easier to read, just a lot more fun. Um, but yeah, that that looked like good work from F one. So um, props to them for doing all that. Yeah, not only a great opportunity, but just a really cool thing that they would allow for and alternate viewing, of course, um, to entice younger fans. If this was in fact, brilliant journalism, as Laz has said, that would put Lewis and a Mercedes until 2025. Do we feel like Mercedes Lawrence can fight for a championship before 2025? We did have that brilliant moment in qualifying where he felt like, <gasps> could this be the start of something new for Mercedes that we haven't seen in the the immediate past? Um, but then, as we have all mentioned, it was very, very short-lived in the first turn on Sunday. Yeah, so if you look at where they are this year, you think, you know, it's going to take something very special over the winter to be challenging for a championship next year. And like we said so many times, Rebel aren't going to stand still. We've seen how much they developed just with this upgrade they bought in Hungary. It's the last one they're doing this year because they've shifted their focus to next season already and making sure that that car comes out of the blocks in a similar kind of fashion. So Mercedes have really got it cut out. I mean, I... You know, I, I I do trust in 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 where they are, and if you talk to people at the team, you know they believe that they've actually found now a a solution that can bring them a huge amount of performance going forward. But of course, they said that to start with. You know, th- there's no guarantees in Formula One, um, and again, this this difference between what you get in the simulator and how easy it is for the drivers to drive is is significant, and it's been very very obvious at Mercedes that the drivers just have not been able to get the potential out of that car. They haven't been able to run it at the right height that the simulator and the and the wind tunnels say will give the maximum amount of performance. And so, yeah, they, they get in this this tricky place. So I don't know. And then you've got to wonder, well, 2026 is a big reg- regulation change, uh, a new engine, which Mercedes are very confident about. Uh, Red Bull seem far less confident about. And then a new set of regulations, uh, technical regulations as well, which could kind of mix things up a little bit. Uh, it'll probably be a similar kind of, you know, 
basic format and, and or basic way of creating downforce. But there's a few things like movable aerodynamics, which you know really could shake it up. So then you start to wonder at what point does Mercedes look to 2026 like they did in the early 2010s when they looked to 2014, knowing that that was an engine regulation change and they could make a big step. And then you kind of get caught in between if you're someone like Lewis Hamilton coming towards the end of his career. I mean, I wouldn't like to put a number on how many years he's going to stay in F1 because I think he could probably go on into his mid-40s if he wanted to. But um, but yeah, you've got to wonder whether, um, if it is until the end of 2025, whether that's enough time to get a title, especially with 2026 looming and, and the potential there. But look, if he signs till 2025, if that's true, then um, there's no reason why he can't continue beyond that as well. I, I genuinely yeah. believe that, uh, given the age he is now and uh, how, how good he is and how... Um, we still, again, going back to that one qualifying lap, but again, you know, that ability to draw that performance out. Uh, we've seen we have a number of drivers when they've got to the end of their career and it's fizzled out. They just haven't been able to do that special thing anymore. And then, you know, they can be very consistent, but if they don't have that extra edge, uh, that's what really kind of, um, you know, brings an end to the career. But I'm thinking of maybe someone like Kimi Raikkonen, who, you know, mm -hmm. back in his day was superb you know one of the fastest drives in f1 but by the time he was a second stint at ferrari and then on to alfa romeo no one was looking at him and saying you know he's the fastest guy on the grid whereas with lewis you still have that so yeah i i think um if he stays at 25 i i wouldn't put money on him winning a championship in that point but he will know at that point as well you know what are the chances of happening in 26 and 27 and it's addictive isn't it like that you know if there's a little glimmer of hope then uh, and Lewis still has that hunger within him. You could see him staying longer. Laz, you mentioned 2026. I think this is an interesting report from Autosport that F1 teams are going to be discussing the possibility of engine equalization during meetings this weekend in Belgium. Is that for the future down the road, like in 2026, or is that something that could come into play even in this season on the back half? No, this is about the current engines we have now because they were equalized oh, sorry they, they were frozen uh, so the development was frozen at the start of 2022 and um by doing that, you, by nature, kind of start to freeze in disparities. So uh, it's become quite clear that the uh, Renault engine is a little bit off the pace of, uh, you know, the class leading ones, uh, the likes of Honda and, and Mercedes and, and probably Ferrari as well. And so when you have that locked in and the teams aren't allowed to develop on pure performance grounds anymore, then there's nothing the team can do about it. And so the whole reason we had this engine freeze was because Honda wanted to leave the sport originally. And then Red Bull said, oh, well, we'd like to continue using Honda engines, but if Honda aren't going to be around to develop them, uh, how about we have this freeze and uh, and therefore, you know, we can continue to use them until we have our own engines in 2026 and all this kind of stuff. And so we ended up with this with this situation. Then Honda decided they weren't actually leaving, but that's kind of another like story. It's Groundhog Day with Honda. Yeah. Just uh, yeah, sure. and, and so, so what you have is 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 is, is these uh, you know these engines locked in, the performance currently locked in. Uh, some teams uh, you're still allowed to work on reliability. So if you figure out you've got a big reliability issue, you're allowed to work on that. But there's also the possibility that by working on reliability, you actually unlock performance because you're able to push the engine a bit harder. And so there's you know it's a bit murky around it, and and it seems like Renault feel like they have fallen behind. And of course, the Renault engine is only in the Alpine car. And so if you end up in a situation where it's as competitive as it is, we've seen so many qualifying sessions this year where just a few tenths of a second split 
you know, even sometimes pole position when uh, Max hasn't quite got his lap together, but certainly from about third place down to 10th or 11th. And if you're always giving away, you know, a 10th or two because your engine is 20 to 30 brake horsepower down, then um, that makes it very, very difficult for that team to be competitive. And the idea of this engine freeze that exists at the moment was not to lock in a disadvantage for one team. It was to basically allow all the teams to... um, uh, to not spend so much because they're about to spend a lot of money or they are spending a lot of money developing for 2026 uh, and, and you know, have a situation where it's kind of a little bit sensible. You know, the, the Honda engine could continue in the Red Bull. All the other teams could shift their focus to 2026. So, yeah, I, I think it's something which um, which they're going to talk about. Christian Horner was asked about it and, um, you know, w- was quite open to the idea, which, you know, when you consider how far they are ahead, uh, it's often the teams that are furthest ahead that like to keep the status quo, but even he is open to it. But one thing he said he'd like to see, and I think this would be fascinating for a lot of fans as well, is if the FIA were just to release the details of how much power each of these engines makes, uh, and then we'd have all that information out there, which is a question we always get. We know it's above a thousand brake horsepower, but we don't know exactly with each one. Um, so that would be um, quite an interesting thing if, if it could come out of it. So we know exactly how much one of these uh, F1 engines make because if they're not developing them anymore, secrets like that aren't really an issue. Uh, certainly, if they are holding one team back, it's the kind of thing which you would like to get as equal as possible. So, Nate, is, are these kind of conversations common at this point, or is this a rarity? Well, there's always a lot of horse training going on in terms of you know regulations. We we hear a lot about kind of technical directives where the FAA will pass something down, and the teams. I mean, <clears throat> these kind of meetings. I mean, discussing stuff like this. This is a pretty big discussion. So. In the context of the last few years, this hasn't happened that often. But there's always something in play, it feels like, you know, and often that's why guys like Christian Horner and Toto Wolf mm-hmm. are so influential within the sport, because there's always they're always on one side or the other, you know. And it is interesting that Christian is is pushing those things because Lawrence is right, you know, if you're ahead, you're you know, it's kind of like Turkey's voting for Christmas if you want everyone to kind of catch you up and you want to actually enforce the rules to do that. So there's a lot more at stake here as well. You know, there's there's bigger engine discussions going on about 2026. Horner's kind of trying to delay, um, you know, what's coming in 26. I think Red Bull are worried about the next set of engine regulations as dominant as they are now. I don't think they're going to be uh, in, a, in a similar situation come 26, given the fact that they're largely developing their own engine. So I wonder if some of his support for this is with that in mind. You know, it's almost like, look, we support you here. Do you kind of throw your weight behind us or you give us a bit more support on something else? And I've always found that side to F1 really fascinating because sometimes yeah. teams take lines that from the outside you're like well that doesn't make a huge amount of sense and then obviously in the more global picture of it it's kind of a bit succession-esque you know there's always something there's always a deal being done there's always a there's always an angle to everyone's to, to everyone's position so this discussion itself is really interesting and I, I think actually Lawrence is right it would be really fascinating to see that um because fans always speculate and if we actually had it in front of us it's one less thing to to wonder about especially when you know, if teams are, if, if drivers are performing in a certain way and you actually can see, well, actually this car was down on power or up on power, whatever, you can maybe kind of equalize those things a little bit as well in your head. So yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting. And I think that one of the things that obviously Netflix showed was, was the human side of Formula One and got into some of these meetings, but things like this, I would love Netflix to be able to cover some of this, even though it's about engines, it's very, very technical. I can imagine some pretty interesting discussions between guys like Horner and Wolf. Um, I mean, we had that one last year that I saw again uh, at the weekend. You know, if you've got a problem, change your effing car. You know, I'm not sure yeah. it would be this animated in this, but but I think that that gives a really interesting insight into kind of how fraught some of these meetings can be. I don't think this one will be quite as bad as that, but it's interesting because, you know, I think that especially with 
I keep coming back to Horner and Wolf, but I think those two guys in particular don't trust each other. And I think that adds a really fascinating element to discussions like this when those are probably the two most influential teams right now, Mercedes and Red Bull. Mm-hmm. Um, and neither of them have a Renault engine. You know, obviously Red Bull have previously been with Renault. So it's all fascinating. Um, and it'll be really fascinating to see what comes out of it at the end of it, uh, yeah. uh, at the end of uh, end of this week. Well, we'll put your suggestion in the box-to-box film suggestion box so that they yeah. can get their cameras <laughs> inside to be sure to film um, that conversation. And they've done a pretty good job so far of getting into those meetings, but stuff like this, they've got to be in. Come on. This is uh that's yeah. that's how you step up the next season. Allow us, allow us to be a fly on the wall. We'll obviously wait to see what comes of it, as you mentioned. Something I wanted to highlight that I think is pretty cool. On Wednesday, Formula One and F1 Academy announced that as of the 2024 season, all 10 F1 teams will have one driver and their livery on one car competing in the all-female racer series. Do we think, Lawrence, that this is another step to having a female driver in the future on the F1 grid? Yeah, it absolutely is. So the idea of the F1 Academy is that it does give that first step into car racing for uh, young women who have come out of go-karts, have shown potential, but um, it's often um, tricky to uh, to go from that karting stage where things are a little bit more equal in, into cars because... There's a number of factors that that work against uh, women, just kind of, um, you know, basic stuff like seating position, things like that. All these junior series cars are are based around the male anatomy. So there's a lot of work to be done uh, to be able to give uh, women a a better chance of making it up there. But it's also about kind of highlighting the talent that uh, potentially can come through from go-karting and uh, and also providing inspiration. So if you have a relatively high profile, all-female uh, championship young girls um who are watching on tv can say to their parents oh look you know how about we go down to the go-kart track and i have a go in one of these go-karts and you know it goes from there and and really i think the biggest barrier at the moment still uh for a woman making it to f1 is is, is pure numbers it's, it's it's the fact that if you go to a go-kart track you know i've been to uh, a couple of events this year and you know the percentage of of girls it's growing it, there's more than there used to be but it's still very small and so if you have 100 go-karters at a go-kart track on a sunday uh, all with you know the potential to to move up the motorsport ladder and you know just picking the number out out the air but 96 are boys and you know four girls then obviously um your chances of, of one of those four girls uh making it you know just pure numbers um it, it, it's not as great perhaps one of those will be exceptionally talented and they will but you know it, it's about kind of raising the profile of, of women driving in motorsport and and building it up and i think having this connection to the f1 teams where the f1 teams are gonna go out and select and no doubt do a huge amount of scouting across karting and uh and junior other junior categories and finding the very best um uh young women to come into this ladder towards formula one that's a huge thing because you know once you have uh that behind you one the teams are very competitive so they're all going to want to go and get the, the best young female talent to uh to put in their car and then uh secondly there's a huge amount of support that an f1 team can offer um you know in in many ways even if it isn't a, a money thing you know there's there's a huge amount they can do in terms of preparing a young racing driver male or female for the steps ahead and so that and then having the liveries of the car, which I think is a very nice touch in F1 Academy. The there are five teams in F1 Academy, each run three drivers. Uh, so it's it's not exactly like Ferrari are running a former F1 Academy team. They're just putting their driver and their 
their livery on it. Um, but even so, those teams that are in 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 that category, some of them have links already to F1 teams. Uh, so that's a positive thing where those relationships are going to grow as well. Um, and also, they're all very professional teams. They they're the ones that run F2 cars, F3 cars, and so on. So I think it's it's being done the right way. You know, I, I really like W Series as, as a concept, but I think um, so, so some of the business model behind it it was just hard to know how it was going to work how it was going to progress and um while i'm i'm very sad to see w series uh you know ultimately uh struggle to, to to make it into another year um i think the way that f1's going about it with f1 academy and all the support and everything i think for young female drivers it is it is definitely the the best route into into the motorsport ladder and hopefully one day a few years down the line into f1 yeah, absolutely. I think it's great they've got skin in the game now, the F1 teams. And hopefully, I mean, obviously the end goal is to get a driver on the grid, but I think if they're all affiliated with drivers, the, at some point, you know, I think they've got to go through the junior categories first to get there. But um, you'd hope that you could see, you know, Haas running, you know, a driver in free practice, and then that starts to become more common, more regular, and then, you know, it, it, it all, you know, moves towards that. So, yeah, really positive really positive step and i'm actually pretty impressed with what formula one's doing with with that academy they took a bit of flack for like not broadcasting it early on but i think they've just tried to get the building blocks in place for that and you know they didn't want the series to be under massive scrutiny from the beginning mm -hmm. and yeah they're just letting it kind of grow organically with you know with these steps being added as they go so pretty cool to see and um i think in a few years time i think it's gonna be a really really strong series i've heard rumblings that it will be joining the uh the support bill of f1 in the future that's the plan down the line so you have you know, F2, F3, and Formula Academy as part yes. of a race weekend. So if you had a ticket, you can see all of those things happening, which obviously is a is a huge thing if you're a fan as well. So yeah, a lot of things to, to look forward to with that. Yeah, I should just clarify as well. So Formula Academy is, is essentially like Formula 4 level. So it is that level where you come out of go-karts. Um, if the, the girls win it, uh, they'll be looking to move into Formula Three and Formula Two and race against yeah. the boys before they get to to Formula One. So um, yeah, that that's where it stands. And yeah, and it is it is um, already planned. You know, they've said in press releases to be on the support bill for next year. So um, I think it's yeah, I think it's the right way to go with with an all female series. I heard the rumblings in a press release. You're right. <laughs> I heard it in an official announcement. I just I said it and I was like, I, that might be official, but I couldn't I couldn't work it out. So you've always got to be very careful. There's the stuff you hear and then you're like, can I say yeah, that? especially after a few a few races in fairly quick succession. Yeah. You're like, my brain's full of some stuff I've heard and I can say, some stuff that we hear and you're like, can't say that it was off record, but it's interesting. So yeah, uh, that was yeah, <laughs> good to good good to get that out. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play.
Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Nathaniel, did you pack your raincoat? I did. I managed to go a day without it. I think it was in Hungary or Austria or Silverstone. Again, everything's blending into one. Uh, but it's the first thing I packed. I think we're gonna, we're going to need uh, we're going to need raincoats and potentially umbrellas because the weather does not look great this week, which will be a change because Hungary was pretty toasty. Yeah, it was hot track for sure. Um, people were concerned on Twitter. That's the only reason that I asked to make sure that you you have your raincoat in hand. Well, it's good. And to be honest with you, they need to be sending me reminders because as we've talked about before, my memory is so bad that a memory, yes. like, a memory like mine, I, I will forget it if people don't remind me. <laughs> Laz, with the rain in the forecast for this weekend in Belgium, how does a wet affect racing at this track in particular? We've had loads of wet racing at this track mm-hmm. in particular over the years. Um, it's in the Arden Forest, which kind of have their own um, uh, climate and, uh, and and weather system. And so it often rains and it often rains a lot. In 2021, we didn't really have a race, a couple of laps behind the safety car because it rained so much. Um, Nate was there. I was, unfortunately, I was at a wedding that weekend, so I managed to skip that one. But that's obviously, um, you know, what F1 wants to avoid. They've kind of changed the rules a little bit uh, to avoid that. But um, there's also safety concerns because uh, when you have a lot of rain there, you have a lot of spray. And uh, in an F4 race um, just last month, uh, uh a young Dutch driver, Delano Van Toff, uh, died because um, he was in an accident where a car rebounded off a barrier. Uh, there was a lot of spray. It was unsighted. I, I haven't seen uh, the exact report into, into the accident yet. I don't think it's been released yet, but um, it, it seemed fairly clear that the conditions played a, played a factor. And one thing that a lot of drivers said after that was the, um, you know, the fact that you have... Um, uh, conditions where it, it is very difficult to race the fans have to be understanding you know the media have to be understanding uh the tv companies have to be understanding that sometimes it is just too dangerous to race so you know that, that those are um you know of course we're talking about worst case scenarios when we're talking about drivers losing losing lives but um yeah i think we have to be a little bit careful about it um hopefully we won't get to that stage forecast i've seen um looks as though uh yeah the, the weather isn't quite as bad as it was in 2021 and uh, it should be okay to go racing but yeah at spa it, it can be really really bad the weather can can really turn okay we'll stay dry that was kind of doom and gloom so i'm going to switch gears a little bit to sprint weekend format nate expectations different little schedule this weekend for people who plan to watch just keep that in mind yeah, and I really like these sprint weekends. Um, and I think actually now what's funny that's happened certainly to me and I think to a lot of people in Formula One is that now that, we, now that we've had sprint weekends, non-sprint weekends really do, the, the, those Fridays really are quite, you know, quite boring, quite slow because there's just two practice sessions. Obviously, what we'll get this weekend is we'll get a practice session and then we'll get qualifying for the Grand Prix. So Friday sets the grid for Sunday. And then Saturday is a standalone day where you get another qualifying session that's shorter, but it's more or less the same format with Q1, Q2, Q3. And that sets the grid for the sprint race, which is a shortened version of the race itself. And I don't know, I, th- I think there's still a bit of a jury out on this with with some fans. And I think, you know, Max Verstappen is probably the biggest driver, the biggest driver name who's kind of against the, the format, even though he keeps winning them all. Um, but it does give us something else to talk about. And I think that in a, in a year where the, the the battle for the win would be closer, I think we'd be enjoying sprint races a lot more. But the fact that Max is so far ahead, I think that it just gives him another another chance to claim he'll get eight points if he wins, you know, rather than twenty five for winning on Sunday. Um, but I really like them. It gives every day, you know, a meaningful kind of feel to it. Um, 
And I don't know, it just it. I suppose the one drawback is by the time you get to Sunday, you've already seen them race. You've seen them qualify twice. Maybe it is overkill, but you know, Formula One, there's six of them this year, six of these sprint races over three that we had over the past uh, couple seasons. So um, yeah, interesting going to this place. And I'm really curious to see what Belgium will be like as a sprint race venue, because um, it's obviously it's the first time it's hosted this, this format. Um, And I think that some circuits seem to be really, really, good for this format some circuits maybe aren't so great for it um but i don't know belgium is such a long lap as well i think it'll be one of the longest laps to have hosted a, a sprint race obviously it doesn't mean that the sprint race is longer it's still based on distance but it's just interesting that there's only a f- you know certain opportunities to pass on certain circuits and it might be that there's less uh overtaking opportunities here because if you think about spa you've got you know the you've got that long run through a rouge radion you go down the camel straight there's that chicane there that's usually one of the best places for overtaking you're only so you're probably going to have fewer laps, so you get fewer opportunities through there. But I'm curious to see what it'll be like. And um, yeah, the rain the rain adds a fascinating part to that because we haven't, I think, I'm, I'm trying to remember now. And again, this is where my brain is just clouded full of F1 sprint races and stuff like that. I'm pretty sure it rained during the sprint race in Austria. And there was, um, if I'm right in saying, everybody at the end switched off the intermediate tyre onto the dry tyre, which created a kind of chaotic finish. And that sprint race in Austria was actually really, really entertaining. Um, so I think Canada adding too. rain in, yeah, maybe it was Canada as well. But adding adding rain into that mix, I think, is a really you know, it's already kind of a bit of jeopardy there. Adding rain into that mix as well um, is pretty fun. But the, and the drivers are a bit more inclined to go for it now. The grid for the Sunday race used to be set by the result of the sprint race, mm-hmm. which a lot of people felt you know it meant you kind of held back. And I think that a lot of drivers kind of got into turn one, turn two, and thought, okay, cool. I'm 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 here now. This is my qualifying position. There's less of that now. You don't need to do that because it won't affect your your qualifying performance from Friday. So it should be fun. Um, but I'm still I I still keep trying to work out if I'm actually 100% pro sprint or or slightly on the fence. I, I I imagine the fact that I can't convince myself I'm 100% suggests I am still on the fence about it. But more 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 than not, I'm I'm in favor of it. It's just um I think there's still some bits that need tweaking to it. But as a concept, it's 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 a really fun weekend, and I think these weekends they they just mean a lot more now to um you know when you're there as well. You know you're there on a Friday, it's it's just a whole whole lot more going on. We'll ask you next week how you feel about the sprint format and yeah, see if does, recency it, bias comes into play. Yeah, I think it basically it just yings and yangs based on how good yeah. the sprint was. And I'm I'm a sure. fair weather Lawrence. Lawrence is much more firm in his convictions i'd basically just change as the weather changes <laughs> so <laughs> okay that that brings us to a great point okay because last week laz was pretty firm in his convictions in the fact that silverstone and hungary were very different racetracks and so he hedged that mclaren might take a little bit of a step back from the pace that we saw in silverstone can i say lawrence edmondson today mclaren are back baby uh, yeah, I think you can. I, yeah, you can, and I, that's absolutely can. I was wrong, um, but there's there there is one thing that um, has been clear from both those races. Uh, mm-hmm. There's still a bit of a question mark about it. Is 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 how good they are in really slow corners? So we often consider Hungary to have a lot of slow corners. Well, actually, a lot of them are kind of like medium speed corners and quite long radius corners. Um, so. They're not typical of, say, like a street track like Singapore or something like that. Uh, Lando was talking about this exact thing. He's saying that, you know, they rarely go into second gear when they go down the gearbox into a corner. Uh, they're often in third gear lower. So there's there's this kind of step below that where McLaren, by their own admission, 
think they are pretty weak and they thought that that would catch them out in Hungary it didn't so it seems like their car is working better in these slower speed sections but there's also questions about the really slow speed sections so in Spa we often think that's a high speed track but there's a very important corner La Source the first corner which is a very very slow corner and that sets you up for your run all the way down um through Eau Rouge up Radlon and then the Camel Straight all the way to uh the the next chicane which is basically the next breaking point so um that will be interesting uh, and uh really we need to kind of like um borrow some of the team's data because the best way to see that will be the GPS data to see uh, how far behind they are there but they should be incredibly fast um, in the really fast uh, sections of the track. So there's a corner called Pujon, which um, is one of the most exciting corners in Formula 1. People always talk about Eau Rouge when they talk about Spa, but I think one of the corners in terms of the challenge in a modern F1 car, in terms of whether you lift or not uh, the accelerator as a driver, is Pujon. And so um, the McLaren is expected to be incredibly quick through there. So, um, yeah, I look. McLaren have made a huge step. Uh, Toto Wolff was talking about it. Obviously, um, they appear to have made a step ahead of Mercedes at the last two races by finishing ahead. Um, and he was saying that he thinks that McLaren have found as much as one second in performance. That kind of stuff just doesn't happen usually in the middle of a Formula One season. When we talk about updates, we usually talk about a couple of tenths of a second. Maybe, you know, if you're doing really well, three tenths of a second verging on, you know, an extremely big update would be four tenths. But to find a second or so is huge. And McLaren said that it's hard to quantify and they haven't actually done the maths on it to figure out exactly what it is because they're just focused on finding the next few tenths of a second. But um but yeah, it is it is significant. So um, certainly compared to where McLaren were at the start of the year, they are absolutely back. Um, but the problem that all these teams have that are behind Red Bull is that Red Bull remains about half a second <laughs> per lap in a race ahead of mm-hmm. everyone else. Don't remind us, okay? Just no to <laughs> say Mark, McLaren's back and we'll, we'll go with that. I feel like Oscar Piastri is fixing for a podium. He's he's driven brilliantly over the last couple of races, but haven't hasn't reached the reward quite yet. Do you feel like Nate in Belgium that we could see him finally on podium? Yeah, I hope so because I think you're absolutely right. I think he's um he's been fantastic, and um you know he did drop off the pace. I think you could see the difference between <clears throat> Lando and Piastri in terms of where they are right now. In terms of that kind of after that mega start Piastri have uh, had his pace did kind of drop away but really impressed with him. I mean, you know, Silverson, he should have had it. And I think that, you know, for, for a driver, and you can kind of see this with Lando and the win that he didn't get in Sochi, I think it's really always really important that a driver ticks off achievements like this, you know, podium, win, just, you know, when they're there, when they have that opportunity, so it doesn't become a, a thing that they, they're saddled with. But yeah, he's been great. And I'm I'm really impressed. And um, we, we mentioned it, you know, we talked about it last year, Zach Brown, you know, the lengths he went to to get Piastri, but looks completely justified now. Obviously, he's he's still a rookie, and I think there's still a lot of improvement to do. And at the moment, if you said who's the better driver, it's clearly Lando. You know, Lando's got the experience and you know, the racecraft, etc. But Piastri's come in, and he's one of these kids that we've talked about before that is just baffling because he just does not seem really that phased by anything. You know, Verstappen's very similar to him. Lando's a bit similar. They, they, they kind of just, they've been racing so long, and they're so confident in their abilities that... There's just no, you can't see any weakness in there, in in outwardly what they give you. So, yeah, I think he's going to have a very, very good career. Um, and McLaren, for ages, I've been saying Mercedes have the best driver lineup, but give that give that lineup a couple seasons and yeah. a couple podiums and wins under their belt, and I think we'll be calling it the McLaren team. But a little way to go before we're there yet. But I think that's what that's where the potential is in that team, um, definitely. 
one thing Too to note about piastri yeah. in sorry so okay it's just we're, we're on the subject of piastri uh in hungary he had um floor damage so he went over a curb somewhere which is why his pace dropped off so dramatically and also uh why they think he struggled with the tires a bit there was a little bit of him perhaps pushing too hard too early on on the tires as well which is something which comes with experience we know these pretty tires are so hard to manage but in terms of raw performance um it didn't look that great compared to Lando in the race, apart from his start, which was absolutely brilliant. Uh, but there was a reason for it. So I still don't think, um, you know, I think in in Silverstone, we saw uh, just how good Oscar Piastri was and had the time in the safety car been different, he would have got a podium. I'm pretty convinced of that. Um, and so in, in Hungary, uh, it was just a case of, yeah, you know, unlucky. A little bit of an experience as well, because the more you put the car out over the curb, especially at a track like Hungary, the more likely you are to damage it. So that's a lesson he will learn from it. But in terms of uh, the performance, you know, it really does look like it's there. And he is up against one of the best drivers in F1 in Lando Norris. You know, we saw how much Daniel Ricciardo struggled against Norris, mm-hmm. albeit in a car that Ricciardo had all sorts of issues with. But even so, yeah, for Piastri to come in in his rookie season and be as close as he has been and kind of holding on to uh, Norris's coattails in qualifying and, and most races, um, that is, you know, that's pretty impressive. So, yeah, just wanted to put that in there uh, if yeah. for any Piastri fans out there who, you know, were very keen to follow uh, what was going on and why he struggled a bit in Hungary. This may be an apples to oranges comparison based on the way that these results unfolded, but still lackluster for these two teams nonetheless and weakened probably that both teams would like to forget out in Hungary. Who needs a bigger bounce back, Nate, Ferrari or Alpine this weekend in Belgium? That's a really good question. Um, People have listened to this pod before have heard me rant about Ferrari one too many times, but I, in this case, I do think it's Alpine. Um, just if you look at, I mean, Ferrari kind of, they just, Ferrari just need a bounce back, I think, just kind of generally in terms of, you know, and I think that w- what we're seeing with Ferrari is that there's like a slow, whatever's happening there, it's slow and it's kind of percolating behind the scenes. Alpine's a really strange one. You know, Lawrence and I were talking about this in Hungary, you know, a few, I mean, it was what, beginning of May or middle of May that uh, Ocon scored that incredible podium in Monaco really really great weekend you know they 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 had this this new investment come in obviously the headlines of that were that um that Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhaney the Wrexham owners were part of it but it was a huge huge you know consortium that you know they were just part of this huge valuation of the team that came with it but on track at the moment they're just not producing the results they were pretty unlucky on Sunday in Hungary because neither of them finished and that was because Guan Yu Zhou went to the back of Daniel Ricciardo who went into I think Ocon and Gasly it might have been the other way around but the end result was the same was that both of them were out of the race and their pace just hasn't been there though you know in Q- they were both out in Q2 in Hungary and we were just talking about McLaren at the start of the season I remember us saying this that Aston jumping all the way to the top of or at least to the top of the best of the rest fight was really embarrassing for McLaren and Alpine you know those two teams were kind of left you know left kind of like looking and saying, oh, we, we didn't think that was possible. Now that McLaren has done that as well, I think the focus now is really on on Alpine because I think, and this is probably a deeper discussion that we can get into on another podcast, but I think there's a real good argument to say that the cost cap has created a situation where teams now have to really focus on their biggest upgrade in the season. They can't upgrade all year. We've already seen Red Bull have, you know, partly because of their wind tunnel penalty as well, but teams are turning their attention at some point to the following season. So do you have to really focus on one big upgrade? McLaren talked about this B-spec car that we saw in, for the first time in Austria. Does Alpine still have the resources and the, the kind of the moving space within what's left of their cost cap this year to bring an upgrade in? If they don't, you've got to ask, what have you been doing behind the scenes? Because you've not 
had this big, big jump forward. We saw some glimpses this year with Alpine, but recently, if you look at that, I forget exactly how many it is. I just, I wrote an article on Monday that said how many points they've scored, but I'm pretty sure they've scored about four points in the last four races. It's a, it's in that kind of ballpark. And mm-hmm. when your midfield rivals are scoring the points that the Alpine's rivals are scoring, you can't, you, you, you know, you can't be doing that if you have any hope of, of challenging them this season. So I think Alpine need a big bounce back, but you know, you'll probably, Lawrence can probably explain if, if he does feel that Ferrari needs one, because they probably, Ferrari kind of constantly need a bounce back. Alpine definitely needs one. Oh, and also on Alpine as well. Sorry, Lawrence, just, I know you're about to jump in, but Alpine as well, they just yet again replaced somebody in a leadership position. Um, we've talked about this a long time with this team that used to be Renault is now Alpine, which is a, a, a brand of, of the Renault team. Lauren Rossi about two weeks ago looked pretty set as CEO there. Lauren Rossi, of course, is the guy who just before Monaco called the team out and said they need to be yeah. doing better. Not sure if that had any impact on the decision made down the line. He's been moved out to a different role within the company to look at special projects. And it's amazing. I looked back over their press releases and just two weeks ago, they promoted uh, Bruce Fermin to a um, vice president of racing role. And within that, he said, um, and sorry if we've mentioned this before, I, I feel like I've, I feel like I might have said this before on the last podcast, but they said his role is now to work under the leadership of Lauren Rossi, who, you know, will take us into the next era of Alpine. Two weeks later, Al, uh, Rossi is out at CEO. Um, and we've seen this with Alpine over the last few years, the leadership changes, you know, they've, they've had Alonso's left, uh, Ricardo's left, Science's left when it was Renault. And all of those drivers said one of the key reasons they left was just the lack of stability at the top. So, I think there's, I think Alpine, if you were to have a real red flag over any team and say, this team's in real trouble right now, Alpine's giving off all the signs of being, uh, you know, not, I'm not saying, you know, fatally flawed, but if, if there was any team right now, I would say, which of these teams is most likely to sell up or to really fail in a big way. I actually think it's Alpine wow. because there's no good signs coming out of that team in terms of, I don't, I don't want not no good teams. I've got, you know, they've got two very good drivers there, but there's just every other team. There's at least some reason to be optimistic going forward, but with Alpine, I just the fundamental question you always come back to is what is the point of that you know of that team running as Alpine? Why you know why is Renault? Uh, there are reasons why Renault are doing it, but it just doesn't seem to be working. So um, yeah, I would say they need. A, that's a very long-winded way of me saying Alpine's the team that needs <laughs> that needs a bounce back. Yeah, it's a team that has lacked consistency, I think, for quite some time. Yeah. Um, certainly, so I think that's a fair pick. We can avoid the nine point four second pit stop Laz if you'd like I'd rather ask you about Aston Martin because the way we talked about McLaren and just how incredible this turnaround has been mid-season is the way that we were referring to Aston Martin and the way that they turned things around from last year to this year at the start of you know podium after podium after podium with Fernando Alonso it feels like they've kind of lost their shine at this point what do you feel like has changed from the beginning of the season to now is it just other teams have brought upgrades and are doing a better job with their setups and cars absolutely it's a relative game where your competitors are defines where you are so if all these competitors you know mclaren mercedes are bringing significant upgrades to the car and aston martin haven't been able to match it well that advantage they have had at the start of the year which was hugely impressive because of where they had come from mm-hmm. um it can get very small very very quickly and so um you know they brought an upgrade in in canada but another thing they've had to deal with and this sounds like a good thing but uh, it results in in quite a lot of 
moving parts is that they've shifted factory from the factory where they designed and originally built that car at the start of the year to this brand new spectacular factory um, on the same plot of land. But, um, you know, it's all new. It's all new machines. It's an all new design office. And um, inevitably, I think there's going to be a little bit of an interruption. They always knew there would be a slight interruption. Of course, the long term gains of that factory uh, are predicted to be huge, you know, in terms of their ability to bring upgrades to the car. That's going to accelerate massively. Massively. But there is always, you know, a kind of, uh, you know, a, a teething time when, when you've got to get things right, get things in the right place. So I do wonder whether that's been a slight factor. But if you listen to uh, the drivers, you know, I think they, they do just look at the other teams and they say that they have been slightly outdeveloped at recent races. And uh, there was a change in the tyre construction as well. That happened in Silverstone, um, which Fernando Alonso has pointed to. Um, most drivers you talk to say the difference between the two tyres is very minimal. You, you can barely mm-hmm. feel it. But of course, each car is different and each car uses the tyres in different ways. So um, it seems like the Aston Martin drivers aren't quite as comfortable with, with the new tyres, which have a stiffer construction. The idea behind that was to deal with the just the sheer force that these cars are putting through the tyres. These were actually the tyres that Prelia designed for next year, uh, and they had them all signed off and ready to go for next year, but they brought them forward because they were basically a bit concerned about how fast these cars were going. They were going faster than uh, the teams had said they would be by this point of the season, uh, the predictions they'd had in place. So they had to bring forward these tyres. But of course, yeah, you know, the changing construction can change the feeling for a driver. Again, going back to that confidence uh, thing I was talking about earlier, and if the driver loses a little bit of confidence, it seems like, with the Aston Martin, it's a little bit of rear, uh, rear end performance, uh, or sorry, confidence going into corners. If that goes, a lot of performance can go with it. So it's undoubtedly a combination of all these things, uh, you know, that, that puts the team back. But then again, uh, you know, as Nate was talking about with Alpine, well, they actually have a they have a floor coming this weekend, Alpine uh, in Spa, which they're confident is going to be a step but how many times have we heard these teams say you know we're going to bring this uh performance upgrade you know they're probably in their mind thinking although they never share this with us you know 0.2.3 seconds but if you do that and all your rivals bring 0.2.3 or even more 0.4 seconds you know over a few races uh then you're going you know you're either staying where you are you're going backwards so yeah it is all a relative game and i think um you know a lot of these teams are looking long term as well you know i think aston martin as well you know they're, they're thinking about you know developing the concept okay they made a big step but how do they continue that how do they continue to hunt down uh red bull and uh and get there so um yeah it's uh i think it's it's a case of, of, of we'll just see it move backwards and forwards i think once we go to some slightly different circuits i'm interested when we go to singapore to see if we see a bit of a resurgence from aston martin on some real low speed corners where they have a strength so yeah um there's uh but it keeps it exciting to watch, at least behind a Red Bull. Yeah. We've talked about it so many times this podcast. Remove Max Verstappen from the championship and you have this incredible battle for, um, for well, what is second place, but, you know, would have been the title. So, um, yeah, Aston Martin would be, absolutely be in there. But, um, yeah, at the moment, it's uh, it's just slipping away from them very slightly. Well, if you remember at the beginning of the season, it felt like, yes, of course, you have Red Bull at the top. But then in that second tier for second place... It was Ferrari, Aston Martin, and Mercedes. And we were thrilled to be throwing Aston Martin in that conversation. Now it feels like things have shifted where your second tier consists of Mercedes and McLaren. And then you'd even have a third tier where Ferrari and Aston Martin currently sit. 
um, which just speaks to, of course, as you say, it's a relative game, the work that McLaren has done. I'm curious, Nate, you mentioned earlier just how incredible it was when Lewis finished his qualifying lap on Saturday in Hungary, and obviously the fans went crazy. We had a new pole leader in pole position. Um, Was it an anomaly, do you think? Was he just outperforming the car on that day, or is that pace that we should come to uh, expect from this Mercedes moving forward in Hungary, excuse me, in Belgium. Yeah, it's 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 hard to work out with Mercedes. I think um, you know, Lando made a few jokes about it, didn't he? He said like for all of for as much as Lewis is downplaying the pace of their car, they've got a pretty they've got a pretty good car there. You know, just compared to the um compared to the Red Bull, obviously everybody looks pretty bad. Hungary is a weird one for them as well. They were pole there last year with George Russell. And I think it's it just suits that car very very well. But clearly, Mercedes. I think you're right. You're right. I think you've absolutely summed it up, nail on the head there, Katie. With those, if you were to put two teams into that second tier, it would be Mercedes and McLaren. Um, right now, anyway, you know that can obviously change. So I don't know. I think that I mean, Paul seemed Paul like Max looked pretty upset not to be on pole position. I think he knew he should have been there. Um, he mentioned he made a mistake through the final hairpin, I think, coming through, you know, got a bit wide into that's that's my anyone watching can see my impression of a driver uh, getting loose through a corner. Um, it shows you okay. how little I know about. Yeah, I mean, it shows you how little I, I know about actually racing a, an F1 car. Um, but yeah, so in terms of can they get more pole positions, I think that's going to be circuit specific, but they're definitely in that fight with with McLaren. And I think that, you know, I think there is an element. You you, you talked to a few other teams on in the paddock. Um, a few other teams do kind of look at Mercedes and some of the comments you hear from from Toto or from Lewis and are like, you guys are still doing pretty good. You know, you're still in a pretty good position. Um, but obviously I guess they're coming from the position of before their their level was we're the best. And now the before times. Yeah. So you can kind of understand why they're why they're down on themselves a lot. But no, I think they're still they're still competitive. Are they competitive enough to satisfy Lewis Hamilton? I was going to say no, but apparently he's just signed a two-year deal, uh, according to um, unnamed ten-year-old, seven-year-old. Wow, it's even worse, Lawrence. We we really, yeah. I mean, they threw it out there. They were they were early. I think they were you know early teens, but still, it's not doesn't bode well for 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 the rest of us journalists there. But um, but no, you know, if 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 Mercedes was in the position that Ferrari or definitely Alpine were in, I think we'd be talking about a lot more. I think they're they're doing well, and Red Bull's just making everybody look bad. With that. My favorite party tweak leads us to predictions. Who would like to go first? I'm feeling confident because I got two okay. of the three last last week. I think I don't want to, you know, I don't want to, don't want to point fingers, but I think both of you guys only got the one. So I said, I actually said Perez third, and I said Verstappen first. I put, I think I put Lu, I think I put Lewis second. Fernando, I think. Fernando sorry, that's I right. Have to go I back. back. I have to go back to my height. records. Yes, but I put I knew I knew something was going to happen with Perez. My crystal ball was right in qualifying, and then he would fight back. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna be I'm writing it down. Yeah, you know what? I think this is the week I'm going to do it. Max doesn't finish. There's a lot of rain. Just think something's going to happen. Wow. Norris win. Perez second. Piastri third. Let's go for it. That's Norris- that's my. Norris number one, Perez, Perez number two, Piastri number Piastri. three. Yeah, I mean, wow. Yeah, maybe I'm buying fully into the McLaren hype. Maybe I'm fully into the trap, but mm-hmm. why not? This is the place to do it. You know? Did you did you throw out all your green garb and just switch it to orange now? Or yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. I, I I don't. We've... That's the only color I know now. It's papaya, papaya orange, as they call it. 
Beautiful. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel bad because I was massively on the Alonso hype train at the start of the year, but that hype train is clearly um, pulled into the station and is having repairs yeah. done. Um, you can't can't catch it at the moment. <laughs> Great analogy. Great analogy, Laz. Um, well, Nate's gone extreme, so I, I'm going to try and just claim some points back against him and uh, go quite well because Red Bull are going to have a big advantage here. I think, like a serious okay. advantage. Not only because if it rains, you know, the fastest car in the dry usually tends to be the fastest car in the wet and you want a huge amount of downforce and they have that. But even in the dry, I think, um, you know, Eau Rouge is the limiting factor at, at Spa. It's a big compression. And if you can run your car slightly higher, but still get a lot of downforce uh, to deal with the compression so that it isn't bottoming out massively and and then, you know, you can have downforce around the rest of the lap, that's a real strength for Red Bull. So I'm going to say it's a Red Bull 1-2. There, I can't mm. remember last time we had a Red Bull 1-2. Was it Miami? I think it was Miami. It looks like it was Miami. Yeah. It must have been Miami. Which yeah, is mad, was isn't it? Perez, is Max. So I just want to be clear. You want Max first, then Perez second? Yeah, could, because I'm going boring trying to get some points. I am going to go Max first, Perez second. Okay. And then in third place, I'm just going to pick a name because it's so close. Lewis Hamilton. No, actually, no, wait, wait. George Russell, because we haven't seen much from George recently. I think he's due a bit of a bounce back. Okay, beautiful. Nice. Max Sergio, George Russell for Lawrence Edmondson. Okay, because I just want to I just want to clarify. I'm pretty sure Max won in Miami. I was no, going to say Sergio, it was no, but Sergio was, was on Perez, pole. It was yeah, the last Perez, one Perez was leading. Yeah. Uh, Perez finished, Max finished. In Perez like, was on pole. Yeah, Max Sorry. started yeah. in like 13th or something, and then climbed to to beat Perez. But that is um, but that is the one race where we all sat and watched it in a room together. That's probably you know that, and and we were slowly like, oh no, Max is going to get him. He has got him, and mm-hmm. that's the race over. That was our lovely voice of God, a.k.a. Dave, our producer. Thank you for um, fixing my error. I appreciate that. But this is not going to be an error because I am correctly going to predict the following. Max Verstappen. Nice. Lewis And that's it. it. (laughs) Lando Norris. Oh, nice. I don't know. I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm way back. I'm way Katie, at the Katie rear. Katie is definitely point. vying for Danny Rick to get that uh, 2024 Red Bull. Seat. Yeah, yeah. What's what's Perez? What's Perez done to you, Casey? What what has he I said to him, you? I had him in my. Did I not have him in my three last week? I, th- I, I think all of us did have him actually last week, but it, it, we weren't kind to him. We were still saying third, which, to be fair, was where he finished. So maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was being accurate. Okay. I mean, yours is yours is way more likely to happen than mine and Lawrence is I know, way but more I, likely to happen to mine I appreciate you gambling with it I'm too much of a scaredy cat I appreciate yeah. the loud out there ones because we need to shake things up confirming we'll you, all, you all had you all had Perez last week thank you okay well that's good okay Nate, yeah Nate was the only one that had him in the right position that's good we didn't need, we didn't need the extra the extra fact. Okay, Dave, no, just, no, no, no. Yeah. I think Dave needs to clarify these things when they're, <laughs> when they're there to um, be clarified. <laughs> I know this is a, a Formula One forward podcast. We talk all things F1 on Unlapped. Um, but I'm just curious because this is being recorded on a Wednesday and my Twitter has been just absolutely um, going off because Congress is speaking to the U.S. Congress, excuse me, is currently speaking to uh, a UFO whistleblower who has just testified under oath that um, the U.S. government is in possession not only of uh, UFOs and UFO material, but non-human bodies. So I'm just curious if your prime minister, do you think, has the same? Um, Do you have non-human bodies somewhere stashed in the U.K.? 
it might explain some of our governments over the past few years. Um, <laughs> no, that's not, that's a very, that's a very bad joke. Um, I yeah, why not? I'm a big sci-fi fan. I know Lawrence is as well, so I'm all for this, and um, it doesn't surprise me. I like um, I like the idea that it's actually like Men in Black, and there's like you know high-ranking people are actually aliens inside the face, you know, of a of a human being. I, I quite like that concept. Um, but yeah, definitely. I think. Um, in fact, if anything, I wonder how many. I wonder if 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 non-human bodies have are buried anywhere at f1 circuits that could be the next fun thing we do go looking for those <laughs> i think it just confirms or, max or actually, happens an alien well that this yeah is that, that, that's also say. true like how yeah. many how many are working in f1 we have all these exceptional people that we can't explain why they're so good at their job could just be aliens yeah okay. imagine if max just Obviously. Uh, he, he retires and he just pulls off his face and he's he's a green alien <laughs> from the planet With... i don't know what planet it'd be from but um... orange planet Dutch planet. Maybe we Gazor, do a draft. Gazor. We do a draft of of which driver would come from each. You know what? I've gotten this way off the the rails here. I apologize. I'm getting it back on track. Back on track here at Unlaugh. You two have a brilliant time. Go get something to eat. Uh, we can't wait for your analysis from the Belgian Grand Prix. Um, if you are bored, um, check out Capitol Hill right now because UFO hearings are bonkers. If you want to go down a deep dark rabbit hole, uh, it's there for you on the internet. We will be back next week on Unlapped, of course, to break down the Belgian Grand Prix, get you ready for silly season. Katie George, Nate Saunders, Lawrence Edmondson, thanks for joining us. Cheers.